here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Welcome, everyone. My name is Angelina Carlton, the hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, where I look to distill the best practices, positive examples in action, and the best ideas to inspire you. As today's affluent are two-thirds self-made, I hope to invite a variety of guests from many walks of life and income levels to bring you their insights and experiences. These guests range from family office professionals, Hollywood directors, to those in Generation Z as they each contribute their thought leadership to this subject of legacy. I hope to provide interesting guests who will challenge your beliefs with their strong bias towards optimism and how you too can value your life time, and personal legacy. This morning, I'd like to introduce Dave Combs, my cousin, to our conversation today. He is a songwriter, photographer, entrepreneur, and author with four decades of experience writing over 120 songs. He's also created 14 albums of soothing, relaxing, instrumental piano music. His songwriting began with the now popular standard Rachel song. And he has, and his music has been played millions of times worldwide on radio, satellite, and all internet streaming media, as it continues to touch the lives of millions of people all over the world. And he's also the author of the best-selling new book, Touched by the Music, How the Story and Music of Rachel Song Can Change Your Life. Welcome, Dave. Thank you, Angelina. It's, I mean, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, also we were delighted to find out that you and I are indeed cousins. That's great. Yes. So is there anything that I may have missed uh, regarding your background that you would like to share, or should we get started with the first question? I think we can just get started. That kind of wraps it up. Okay, good, good. So you were inspired by real tragedy and grief. Would you share the story as well as how you overcame this? Sometimes in life, uh, things, your emotions can, can generate an inspiration. You know, the, when you're in a deep emotional state, sometimes that creativity boils or rises to the top. Well, such was the case for me in uh, 1980. I lost my father to a, an automobile accident. And uh, right before Christmas, it was very tragic and it really affected me. That was the first real taste of close-up grief that I had experienced. And so following that tragedy, uh, during the following month of January, I was, I'm sure, going through all of the roller coaster rides of emotions of grieving for my father. And one of my ways of release and relaxation is to sit down at the piano and play music. Music's always been a big part of my life, but to sit down at the piano and play something kind of is a release for me. And this particular time, I remember sitting down at the piano and I had just freshly tuned the piano. It was a hundred year old piano and it wouldn't hold its tune. And what, and, so year, I, and what year was this? This was in 1981. Now my father died December 22nd, 1980. Okay. So in, in January of 1981 would have been the time frame. Okay, so here you are in Tennessee, 1981, okay. Yes. Now this this time I'm you know I'm working in North Carolina, I'm living and working in North Carolina at that time. Okay. I'm, I'm from Tennessee, but okay. I had my job was in Winston Salem, North Carolina. So I'm I'm here, and that evening I sat down at the piano after I'd tuned it and played. I always play something after I freshly tuned the piano, and this time when I put my fingers on the keyboard and and started playing. I played this song, this melody and song, just, it was just there. 
it came through me to my fingers to the piano and I just played it. And I played, it had a verse and a chorus and it really sounded pretty and I enjoyed playing it. And I really didn't think much about it, Angelina. It was one of those things where, yeah, it, it just happened. And then I would play that song, you know, fairly frequently along with other things I would play. And then a couple of days later, Linda came home, my wife, Linda came home from work and she says, what's this song I've got stuck in my head? She hummed a little bit of it, the tune. And I said, well, it's, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what do you mean? You play it all the time. <laughs> so I said, well, it's just something I guess I just, I just made up. And she got all excited and said, well, have you written it down? And I said, well, no, it, it's up here in my brain. I've, I've got it. And she says, oh, no, no, you, something might happen to you and we'd lose that song. So you write it down. I did. And so I did write that song down. But that, uh, to your question about the, the role that grief and emotions play in your life and how you overcome them, is that's what happened, I think. And now that I look, you know, I had no idea at the time, but looking back, I really do believe that it was my grieving over my father who dearly loved music. He would, he'd rather play the piano than eat. And so he, he really influenced my life to love music. And so okay. that influence, I think, was part of the impetus for my writing that song. Yeah. So music then helped you overcome that, that um, grief that you were blindsided with, a tragedy that was unexpected in your life. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you for that introduction so that the listener can understand the backstory regarding what inspires the music, whether it's that heartache or, you know, the joys of life. And many times it's heartache that somebody is working through in that mm -hmm. moment and it comes out through the music. Yes, that's exactly, that's the way I think it is anyway. Uh, if you talk to many composers or, or songwriters, they will express the same kind of thing. I think that their songs really come out of their life experiences and their the roller coasters rides that they, they, if you listen to country music, it doesn't really matter whether it's country music or rock music or any, they're all expressing feelings and emotions and that's what comes through in the music and that's what makes music so powerful. Yes. So I realized music also makes a connection in the brain to an event or an emotion. So would you explain how this works and also how this related to the success of your songs and CDs? I've done a lot of thinking about that because, in, and I think there's a lot of research articles about the effect of music on the brain and, and this kind of thing. But to me, if you connect your senses with the music, for example, if you hear a, a song that you love and you're in a place where you remember what the, the sounds were that were around you, the music, you remember what did it smell like? Were you outside in a nature setting or were you in a gift shop where the, you smell all the scented candles and that kind of thing? And if, what did you see? Did you see some beautiful scenery or were you, for example, at the birth of a child? Those kind of things are seared into your brain. Yeah. And if you can associate those things with a song or with music, I think that is where those memories of those feelings get connected. And I have so many letters from people who have written me and said how, and in fact, they're very descriptive in where they were and what they were doing when they heard Rachel's song. Yes, and I always yes. thought that was very interesting because they're all different, but it was one of those things 20 years later, they could still tell you to the minute exactly where they were, what they were doing, everything when they first heard Rachel's song. Yes. And, and one that's of the, powerful. Yes. And one of the things we talked about before the uh, Zoom started recording is how music can melt somebody's heart mm -hmm. and bypass those brick walls. Yes. You can yes, find yes. somebody that's uh, that's thinks they're very hard hearted and whatever. And if, if this the music can just go through there and break all those barriers down and have the most hard hearted person shedding some tears pretty quickly. So it, it can really melt your heart. Yes. And one of the things I also shared is that I had the song on uh, repeat. <laughs> <laughs> and so I will see if I can include the song at the end of this conversation. Um, I'll okay, have to yeah. see on the editing part. But yes, sure. yes, that would yeah. be that'd be great. That would be great. So if we take a look down history lane for a moment, um, there wasn't necessarily like the Nashville music scene that you had pursued. It was a gift shop. Is, is that correct? In the Washington, D.C. area. 
So would you speak to the business side of how you were able to launch your music career and make it a full-time gig, walk away from your job at AT AT&T? Well, it was, it was a long journey. Now I wrote the song in 1981, as I said, I named it in 1983 at the, at the christening service of our godchild, Rachel, where I had played the song and named it after her in 1986, three years later, I recorded Rachel's song with Gary Prim being the artist. And in 1988, I did a whole album, a CD and cassette tape album of Rachel's song and, and some other songs I had written. So then you ha- the thing you're asking about is then what did I do with that that turned it into a business that allowed me eventually to quit my good paying job at AT&T and do nothing but my music full time? Yes. Well, I first started thinking that I could sell my music because it was so well received in the standard way of selling music through record stores back then. Yes. And and I'm just shining the flashlight for a moment because you thought outside of the box. So I think that this story is worth sharing. Yes. So it was uh, outside the box because the box didn't want to have anything to do with me. (laughs) When I went into the, the box store to sell my music, thinking they would take it, they didn't really have any inclination to carry my instrumental music that they disparagingly called elevator music. We don't sell elevator music here. Yeah. You know? So I, I had to think outside the box, think there's got to be another way. And there was uh, a friend of mine at work had a good friend of hers that owned a gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria. We were living in Virginia at the time. I mean, in Maryland at the time. Okay. And so her friend that owned the gift shop, she gave her a CD of Rachel's song. And she happened to play Rachel's song on her CD player in the shop over the sound, this sound system in the, in the store. Yes. And what happened was, every time she played my CD of Rachel's song, all the customers in her shop would come over to the counter and say, what is that music you're playing? I want to buy that and take it home with it. Do you have it for sale? Well, she didn't because all she was doing was playing it. Yes. So she called me and said, Dave, you've got to sell me some CDs so that I can sell to the, my customer. Time that anybody had approached me about selling my music to, to, on, at retail to customers. Yes. So and I, I just want to interrupt for a moment. It was played like after like John Philip Sousa. <laughs> yeah. This, the, 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 shop, the shop was called America in Old Town Alexandria. And she sold patriotic stuff and played patriotic music like John Philip Sousa, all the the big pompous music. Well, you can imagine the contrast when John Philip Sousa's band stops and here comes Rachel's song that is just totally contrasting. It's soothing, relaxing, quiet, melodic, peace, melodic peaceful. The contrast was unbelievable. So and that, yet, <laughs> and yet, and yet people loved it. They, they loved it. They, yeah. they were, they were almost drawn to it. And so they would go and ask about it. Well, I took Jane a box full of CDs that evening and thinking, oh, we'll see how this goes. And, and then less than a week later, she calls me back and says, Dave, those are all gone. I, want, I need another box full of CDs. So, you know, I took her a box of CDs and cassette tapes every week for over a year. And she sold thousands of CDs and cassette tapes out of that one little gift shop. And so that was the, the light bulb went off in my head to say, this is maybe how I can monetize my gift of my music was, is to sell it not through record stores, but through gift shops. Yes. And so, and so I said, well, there's got to be more shops like that around, surely. And so I, I, I did a, I'm a computer programmer by trade. And so I made myself a spreadsheet with a, a column for Jane's uh, America gift shop. And so I saw how much she'd sold, how much I made. And then I said, well, let's say if we just had uh, maybe one gift shop in every state. I mean, that's really, surely there's one in every st- all 50 states. So I made me a second column that's 50 times the first column. Well, the numbers at the bottom there, the net profit said, whoa, that's a pretty good number. That's not bad at all. So then I said, well, maybe there's five in every state that I could get. Was, was Hall- I'm sorry to interrupt. It was Hallmark around back then? Yeah, they were there. They, they Eventually, they I had my music playing in some of the Hallmark stores. Okay. And, and so I, I, 
I realized the year was probably like 1986. And I remember the 88. 88. So they were probably in shopping malls, but I don't know how prevalent yet they might have been as a specialty store. Well, they they did play music. If you've gone into a Hallmark store, most of them did play music. Now, they were a hard harder sell because uh, they were corporate, usually corporately controlled. Hallmark, the, the franchise controlled what they did. And it was so it was a little tougher to get them to play and sell my music in their shop. My big success, though, was in the little shops like uh, Jane's in the gift shop in Old Town. She owned the shop. She made the decisions what got sold and didn't in that store. So it was she didn't have to ask anybody. And so those are the shops that I really focused on initially. Yes. And so when I made my third column of 250 times column one, I looked at the bottom and I says, Linda, look here. This is more than I make it work. I think we <laughs> could do this. I think this is great. So I knew that that was me. That was the model that I needed to follow. Yes. And it, it was going out and finding then all of those gift shops across the country. That was the big challenge. So what I find interesting about that story is that the gift shop was the intermediary in the 80s, whereas today it's streaming services and your website. Um, when you look back, was there a pinnacle moment or was the pinnacle moment when was, was or was the pinnacle moment when you looked at Linda and said, wow, I'm making more or I could make more with these CDs? Well, I, I think for me, one of the most interesting and pivotal moments was when I had a, a breakthrough on how to find all of these prospective gift shops to play my music. Well, as you can imagine, you know, I've never visited. I've not been in all 50 states. I don't know where the tourist towns are. I don't know where these shops are. And so I was relying initially on just yellow. Back then we called it yellow pages. It was the listing of all the business places. And so I had purchased the printout of the names and phone numbers of every gift shop in the entire country. And I think there was like 75,000 gift shops across the country. And this printout was about four inches thick of the computer paper with, you know, every shop in every town in the United States. And I, I said, well, I've just got to start calling these people and find out, you know, who would be able to, to I, I can still tell you the, the line I used when I got the phone and I'd say, do you sell any cassette tapes of the music that you play in your shop? And they would either say, no, we don't sell music. And I'd say, thank you. Goodbye. Okay. And, or they'd say, well, we play music, but we don't sell it. And then okay. I would, I would launch into a, well, if I sent you some of my music, would you play it and see if some of your customers might be interested? And so I'd get their name and address and so forth and send it to them. Or a third category, they would say, yes, we do sell the tapes of music that we play. And that was a rarity, very rare back then. Almost nobody did it. And I would, of course, get them to accept me sending them a free one. I did that. I made phone calls on every Saturday and Sunday because I was still working at AT&T at the time. So I had to do this at, on weekends. So I would call all day long on Saturday and part of day Sunday, all these gift shops. Well, I was calling and I was only getting maybe one customer out of every 30 phone calls I was now. You know, when you hear in sales, you know, you have to get used to people telling you no. Correct. Right. And, and you don't don't get discouraged by it. Well, I was getting 29 no's for one yes. Well, that's, well, that's a lot of work just to get one potential customer. And I realized what I was doing, I was calling the wrong gift shops. Okay. A lot of these, a lot of the gift shops were, you know, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, right downtown. They weren't in tourist areas. They were just, there were... There were gift shops that catered to the locals. Okay. Well, in a local gift shop with local customers, and I only had one album's uh, Rachel song. Once they bought it, they bought it. They're they're not going to buy anything else from me because I don't have anything else to sell. Ah, so, very so, good distinction. So the the key to it was Angela, Angelina. That was that uh, I had to have a shop that had new customers every day, and you know that's 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 a tourist shop. Yes. Like, like in the train station, uh, Union Station in, in Washington, D.C. New people getting off the train coming through every day. Brand new set of people. Old Town Alexandria, tourist town, new people coming through every day. So it didn't matter if you only had one song because that customer probably would only be in that shop one time in their entire life anyway. So I needed to know 
where are the tourist towns in the United States? You know what I love about the story is you just embarked on a brand new adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, then I thought, well, you know, these, surely the Chamber of Commerce or the Better Business Bureau or the Department of Commerce, those people probably have a list of all the tourist towns in all the country. I called the United States Chamber of Commerce and Department of Commerce and local uh, state chambers. Nope, no, we don't have any such a thing. And I thought, golly, how am I going to find this out? Well, I am a um, computer uh, analytical nerd, I guess you would call it. So I got my thinking cap on and I thought there's got to be a way using data. Now, this is back before we call things big data and analytics and all that. This, I said, there's got to be a way to let me find these people. What are the characteristics of a tourist town? Well, let's take Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for example. Town that's just loaded with gift shops. I think there may be 50 gift shops in that one little town. Well, what's the population of Gatlinburg? That permanent, the permanent population. Okay. Oh, maybe 1,500, 2,000 people, not very many. Well, guess what? That ratio of gift shops per population, it tells you that there's no way in the world 1,500 people can support 50 gift shops. So those customers for the 50 have to come from outside of town. Yeah. So, so I said, okay, all I need to know then is I need to know how many gift shops are in a town and I need to know how many people live there. So I found this, the, the printout that I had from the United States that I bought of all the mailing lists had by town, how many gift shops? I mean, every, so I would go and count them. It didn't give me a count. I just manually counted them. I put that in a little spreadsheet and then I said, okay, I need no population. Well, I found this wonderful book called the marketing Atlas. It was in the library. Great big book. It was about, you know, it was about that thick. It weighed about 12 pounds. It was a huge book, but it had, yeah maps and then in the in the middle of it it had every crossroad in the united states listed with their population and a, some small amount of data about it so i could take my printout of all the, the counts of the gift shops go to this book and say okay that town has you know 575 people row or yeah row in the, my database and then I said, okay, well, let's just calculate, let the computer calculate the ratio of all that and see how many people per gift shop in all these towns. And then what I did, you can, as you can do in spreadsheet, you just sort it. I sorted it by that ratio. Oh, wow. Wow. So then all of a sudden in Tennessee, for example, guess what was, which was the top town at the top of the list? Gatlinburg, Tennessee, because Would the ratio be was only you know, a hundred people per gift shop. Well, there's yeah. no, <laughs> We're, no way. No. Was small. Yeah. Yeah. So, and in Kansas or Missouri or Oklahoma, wherever, all those gift shops, uh, tourist towns right at the top of the list. So then I didn't have to waste my time talking to the people that weren't tourist towns. I could call those gift shops. Yes. And, and then all of a sudden my hit rate went from one in 30 to one in five, and sometimes it was almost everyone that I call would take me up on it. So you talk about it, that was to me a real eye-opening aha moment of, you know, that really changed my, if my, the way I was doing business. And I went from then, I had about 20 or so gift shops. I eventually ended up with over a thousand gift shops across the country playing and selling my music. Yeah, as your distribution network. What I love about that story also is that you like you had said you hadn't even visited all 50 states and now you're trying to map out the country to figure out you know what what works where do you go mm -hmm. and you're almost yeah. like on a, on a journey even yeah. though you're not in the car yes right yeah. but i i had i knew in my soul that when i called those people if if the name of the town and their own their ratio was a real low ratio i knew that that's all the way made they made their living was off tourists yeah, it'd have to be. Oh, yes, so I, yeah. I had the confidence knowing I was talking to the right people and it, it, it really, really worked. But that was, that was my introduction to big data. And today there are companies, we have one here in town called Enmar, that that's how they make their living is off of using analytics and big data and helping big companies market and target. You know, when you're on 
uh, Google or Amazon, any of those, and you, you're, you're typing away and boom, there pops up an ad. Well, how'd they know I was interested in that? Yeah. And yeah, they've used the big data of saying, here's, here's what you've purchased in the past and here's something that's similar to it. And bing, we'll, we'll pop that up. That's the use. That's thinking outside the box and using, using analytics and big data. So in addition to your entrepreneurial spirit, you also, and I'm going to um, ask you about your legacy in a moment, but um, in the last year or so, you decided to do something very altruistic and it blew me away. Well, I think you're talking about what I did with the nursing homes and assisted living facilities all across the country when this pandemic hit. Yes. Most of us remember those days a couple of years ago, about this a little later than right now, but it was like in uh, March, April timeframe of, of two years ago that the news stories came on and were, they were just heartbreaking stories. You remember about stories of these nursing homes or assisted living where they were locked down and the families of those people could no longer, they wouldn't even let them on the premises, let alone go in the room and visit them. Sure. People, people they were even pleading, let me at least go outside the window and say hello to my, my mother or my father, you know, it was so heartbreaking that they were all of a sudden locked down. Well, my mother, who passed away uh, four years ago now, she had lived in a nursing home, a assisted living facility, about five miles from my house here. And I had visited her, visited her every day. And I knew how much she enjoyed my company and my, my music. Her, I would play music for their, she and her neighbors there at the assisted living facility. And, they loved music and they appreciated it. Yeah, and I mean, how much it meant, it, it yeah. meant for her, how much it, it means for people to have that connection, that community. Yes, and so I, I decided that, that I had to restore at least some of that uh, ability to listen to something peaceful and music instead of turning on the TV. As you remember back then, you couldn't turn on the TV without all these bad news stories of how bad it was. And it was depressing. I mean, these people are already probably depressed by being in this tiny little room in their assisted living facility or nursing home. And then to turn the TV on and get further depressed, that's not good. So I said, I have got to get my music to these people somehow. And so I put together some YouTube videos and my photography. I'm a, I love taking pretty pictures of landscapes and flowers and whatever. So I took all that, mixed them together and made these soothing, relaxing music videos that I could then distribute to, for free to these people in nursing homes and assisted living facilities so that they could put that up on the screen and play it and have something to take their mind off of this trouble and the pandemic and so forth. And the loneliness and the isolation or the hopelessness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it really blew me away because, again, um, I want to make a business point in a moment, but but I just want to shine a flashlight on the fact that it was so kind. You didn't have to do that. And we're talking no. about like 54,000 facilities. Yes, there are a ton of them. I think they're close to a thousand just in the state of North Carolina. And I personally called, Angelina, I personally called over 200 of these facilities in North Carolina just to see for myself. Would it be something there that would they would accept and and be helpful to them and to a person? They appreciated it so much, and I would send them the links to the the videos. And I got emails back that said, "Oh, thank you so much for doing this. Our residents really find it to be so peaceful and relaxing and helpful." And and uh, so then that was the two hundred that I called, and then I eventually connected up with these associations. Now, you know, there's I, just, a, I just want to say again, it's the fact that you cared. Like in our, our one of our previous conversations, I was just blown away. You know, like I said, sometimes people can have a corporate mentality regarding putting people in like what I call like the back of the bus or they make people invisible. And yet you remembered. Well, I had a tremendous amount of I care. I had tremendous empathy for these people because I had been or at least I had been in the facilities and witnessed firsthand the plight of these people, how isolated they almost were anyway, and then to lock the door and say, you can't even go out and I will slide your dinner under the door for you. You know, that just, that broke my heart. And so I said, I have got, this is my way of giving back. I've got all this music and I've got all this photography. I have to give it back so that 
at least I, I, I will never forgive myself if I don't share this with all these people and at least help some people. Yeah. And I just also want to make another point before you share the rest of your, your story is that your experience then with cold calling for the gift shops, then you had already built like a, a skill set or a muscle to now parlay that into this moment in time where that preparation met the opportunity. And this time the opportunity may have not been um, a business opportunity. It was, you know, I might call it a legacy opportunity from top of mind. You're right. It's the, the, the preparation that I had from doing calling those thousands of phone calls in trip for gift shops made me absolutely fearless when it came to picking up the phone and call somebody. I don't care if you know, I'll, I'll call anybody and talk to them. I don't have any more. I don't have this uh, reluctance to call somebody. So I, I use a fear of rejection. So I said, if they don't want it, they'll tell me and I'll just go on to the next one. No does not mean no. Sometimes no just means not yet. So uh, I called all these people and then I called the associations in North Carolina. Every state has an association for assisted living, nursing homes, uh, elder care. And so I found out and I called. You can find out anything on the Internet now. I got their phone numbers. I did personally call all 66 associations in the entire country. Some of them are national. Some of them are most of them are state. And almost all of them said, sure, we would love to put your information about your YouTube videos in our newsletter okay. that goes out to all of their members. Well, their members are those facilities that I was trying to reach. So I was able to get to all 40, I think it's 45,000 nursing homes in the country. Mm -hmm. I was able to get the information to all of them okay. through, through the associations. And so the mission was accomplished. Yes. And I just also want to add that the response, I don't want to necessarily call it fan mail, but we can call it appreciation letters. Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. you started to get letters. Yes. So, you know, it touched their heart. You know that it hit home. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I probably, I got hundreds of emails from these uh, and they're really busy people. So I know they took the time out of their busy day to write me okay. and tell me how much my music meant to their residents that they were trying to help. These are hardworking, really great people, these activity directors. Their job is to keep these people in the residential areas happy and peaceful and calm down and, and to creation and enjoyment. And so those, those letters really meant a lot to me. Yes. I know this uh, question uh, wasn't talked about beforehand. Do you know offhand what values uh, that you, what values did you get to honor by this endeavor? Yes. I do. And I want to quote this to you. I, okay. I don't want to I don't want to misquote it because I love the way this states. It. And this, to me, wraps up the entire thing we're talking about with my music and my, my all my efforts in one uh, quote. And this is from John Wesley. He says, do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the souls you can in every place you can, at all the times you can, with all the zeal you can, as long as ever you can. Now, it, doesn't that just kind of sum it up beautifully? John Wesley, the famous preacher, and uh, it, it's just, I think that's, to me, that's my mission. If I don't do all that I can with my music, and my photography and my outreach and helping people, then that's that's what I've got to do. I've, that's my yeah. mission. Yeah, and I would add also it's uh, your energy and your time. I mean, yes, yes, you can give your talent and you do have talent to give, but um, I think it, it just uh, reminds us that we can all be bigger people and give where there is a need compared mm -hmm. to looking at the stories on the news and thinking, oh my gosh, the world is tainted and it's gray. And yet somebody can change that conversation for, you know, the people that are mostly, you know, most affected. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So speaking about legacy moments, <laughs> um, you have said to me that you believe in your words, you might define legacy as what you leave behind for subsequent generations in passing on values and character. Would you speak to that for a moment as well as what you think your legacy will be? 
Well, I sure hope that my legacy will include both my music and hopefully the inspiring stories about what I did with my music for generations to come. I think my music is timeless. It's instrumental, no words. And I hope that 100, 200 years from now, they'll still be playing Rachel's song and other my other music. And then my book that you see here on the Touched by the Music has all, a lot of these stories that I've been talking about in it and, and many more. And there's an entire chapter, chapter 21, that is a reprint of dozens and dozens of these wonderful notes and letters that I got from other people telling me how much my music had touched their life. So I think my legacy has got to be what I leave behind in terms of my relationships with my family and, and my wife and our, our, my nieces and nephews and family and aunts and uncles and cousins, but also the population in general that has over the years been touched by my music and hopefully soon you know, by, by my words in my book as well, the inspiring stories. So that's to me, uh, talks about me, my music, my character, where it came from. And uh, so that I think is my legacy. Wonderful. And, and one of the, the things we spoke about again before recording was, I almost wondered if you're sharing happiness. So the vehicle is your music, but it's that happiness also that's in your heart. Because one of the things that I commented on is um, you look happy in pictures and um, just as your father loved music and shared that purpose and passion with you, now you get to share it with others in something that you can, you know, make a an energetic deposit, a spiritual deposit into their lives. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the story of Johnny Appleseed of how he went around the country planting apple trees. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love to ride my bicycle on and when in warmer weather uh, on we have a greenway close to our house here. It goes for about 10 miles and I'll get on my bicycle and then in my backpack in my, my bicycle, I will have a stack of CDs of my music. And quite often I will run into somebody, a stranger on the, on the greenway I've never met before and we'll start up a conversation and then we'll, I'll say, well, do you enjoy piano music or whatever? And if they say yes, then I'll say, well, may I give you one of my CDs to take home? And so I have, I have probably given away, I don't know, dozens, if not hundreds of CDs to total strangers that I met yeah. on the greenway. And I, <laughs> instead of Johnny Appleseed, I guess I'm Davey music. I'm spreading my music around as, as often as I can. So I, I really enjoy doing that. And I think it will impact uh, their lives. And, and uh, because and the music, again, I'm going to see if I can include it at the end of this conversation. It's, um, it, it's almost like it puts you in, into this moment of like, I don't want to say like a time bubble, but it's almost like time stops and the melodic it's, it's like, it's enchanting. It's mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's well, almost yeah. like whether somebody believes in heaven or not, it's almost just like, it's like if, if heaven is real, you know, and I can't opine for, you know, other people's beliefs out there, but um, it's just a reminder to, to stay in hope, to stay in, I might use the word faith mm -hmm. because there are better times to come. There is happiness. There is, let's reconnect to what is, you know, good and, and, the most precious. Well, I think music can literally take you to a different place, just like uh, I'm sure you did as a little girl, I, as a little boy. I love to read. Well, you can get lost in a book. You know, you can read a book about a place you've never been to before, and all of a sudden your imagination, you're there, you know, and you're, you're, you're taken, you're transported to that place. And I think in a way, Music can do the same thing to you. It can, if, if, if you really pay attention and listen and let it soak in, it can take you to places that you need to go. And it's funny, I've, I've been watching a lot of the Olympics and you know, these uh, uh, skiers especially that uh, they will have their headset on like you have on there, the earbuds and, and I've noticed that and they talk about it. They say they have their music playing that basically helps them mask out all of the rest of the world and helps them concentrate on what they need to do in their Olympic trial or their Olympic race or whatever they're doing. So music, even in an Olympic situation, helps to put them in the place where they need to be to compete at the highest level. Yeah. So music, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? 
It is. It absolutely is. And I was going to make the joke. I think I'm going, to, I'm going to write now into my legacy plan in the final minute of my life before I cross over for Rachel's song to be played. Oh, <laughs> so I bless won't be you. afraid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I have, in fact, I, in my book, you'll find one of the quotes from one gentleman was he said, I want to be, I want to be taken to heaven with Rachel's song playing. Yeah. And so there, you're, you're not alone in that. So okay, good. <laughs> it, it's really, really special. So, and, and I, I guess at some point you want, you're going to want to point people to my website yes, where they can is. find out more about how to get their own copy of Rachel's song CD or download or, and uh, so it's combsmusic.com, C-O-M-B-S, just my last name.com. Dave at combsmusic.com is my email address. So check me out. It's, it's a simple place to go. And then you can go from there to get the book or the music or whatever. It's, but I would enjoy hearing from people. I love to get emails from people about how my music touched them. I answer them all. I read them all. And I, those are really, really special to me. Yeah. And I just want to... Um ask you about uh, one other question, which is uh, about guiding principles. When you look back in that moment of what I, I call like an act of kindness, is there any particular guiding principles or was that the quote that you read from Mr. That Wesley? was pretty much the quote that I read. That, that was the, that okay. wrapped up my principles in one. It's basically the principle of doing everything you can okay. with every, all of the things that you're able to do okay. or help somebody else. And as you said, in my case, to spread happiness. Uh, that's I th you. You were the one that came up with that, and I, I appreciate that. That that really does say it rather well. That that's my mission is to spread happiness. Okay, lovely. And I think again, uh, people in the world today can uh, benefit from happiness. Um, not just that humans typically are um, focused on survival, but I think that with external stresses today, it's nice to be transported to a place of happiness and to reconnect with that, you know, whether someone's on that ski slope, ski slope to perform, you know, at the, the, their best ability, or if it's just in the day-to-day -day, uh, moments to re-anchor to what is good and true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another, another aspect of this that we haven't really talked a lot about is what I called in my book, God winks. Things, yes. that, things that happened in my life that looking back could not have been coincidence. And I have a wonderful story in my book about a, a couple okay. who basically were having their uh, little baby girl. And so they went to the hospital to have the baby girl. And unfortunately, the little baby girl didn't make it. Okay. So here they go into the hospital with high expectations and then they're heartbroken when she didn't make it. And they had already decided to name her Rachel. And uh, so I, I get this letter from this family years later. I mean, they didn't, they didn't immediately write to me. They wrote me years later and told me this story. They said on their way home from the hospital, after being dismissed, uh, the, the wife being dismissed from the hospital, they were on their way home. They had the radio on. And on the radio comes this song playing. It's an instrumental song. And... They turned it up and they looked at each other in the car in the front seat and they said, that sounds like our little Rachel telling us that everything is going to be okay. Yeah. And they kind of got tears in their eyes. They listened to the whole song. And then when it finished, the, the DJ on the radio came on and says, you've been listening to the music of Rachel's song. They just about lost. Oh, they did lose it. They had almost had to stop the car. I'm sure. So, so they were just blown away by the coincidence or the, the God wink of this song coming on the radio on their yeah. way home from this tragic, sad event with their losing their little Rachel. And so they wrote me the sweetest letter. In fact, Linda and I have sent, subsequently called and talked to them. They're a wonderful couple. But uh, isn't that a wonderful, sweet story of how God just reached down and says, here's this song and here's this couple that needs it. And boom, there you're going to listen to it on the radio. No coincidence. Yeah. And I think it healed their heart. It, it did. And they, they, every time they play it, they, they think of their little, little Rachel girl that they lost some, I guess it's about 20, 25 years ago now. Yeah. I think it goes to show also that uh, as much as we think we have this life figured out, there's more to it. Yep. Yeah. 
it's a it's a big world. It's a big universe. It's yeah. getting big, getting bigger. I think with the the new telescope they've just launched, we're going to find out, reach out into the further reaches of the universe. And I can tell, I can I can promise them now that's not the end of it either. We won't see. The, <laughs> it's not going to see the end. There's no end to the universe. So it's it's a it's quite a quite a quite a journey we're all on on this uh, wonderful planet. Yeah, I just also wanted to share one other thing that um, I had mentioned this to you before that I almost wonder in terms of Godwinks, if it could have been like a download, even from your father, that moment, like when they talk about authors like J.K. Rowling, she was on a train and she got the Harry Potter download. They say um, Taylor Swift gets downloads. And I almost wondered if it was your father's way of saying to you, I'm in heaven now. It's okay. Let me tell you how beautiful it is. That's a great way to think of it. And I, yes, I have thought about that. And it's, it's entirely, of course, there's no way to know for sure. But, you know, if you think about it, uh, that the song, you think, well, it had to come from somewhere. And so there's, it's a, it was a communication. Uh, I didn't just make it up. I don't think it was, it was, I think, given to me, it was a gift. And it probably had something to do with, with my father. So that's a great observation. And you've stewarded it, it well, you've stewarded it well. I try. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I will close out unless there's any other thoughts that come to mind that you'd like to say this moment. Well, I, first of all, I just want to th say how much I have enjoyed getting to know you Thank and you. talking with you. And I hope that our friendship now will, will last uh, for a long time. It will. So I'll look, I will look forward to communicating with you. Maybe we can do this again some other time. And I hope your listeners really are touched by the the stories and the music, and I hope they will tell you so on, on your on your podcast. Thank, thank you for you. having me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I just want to add, I think that your book is filled with inspiration to uplift people's hearts. And I also just would like to acknowledge that, you know, you've chosen to be kind. You've chosen to uh, bring your best self, like you had read with the Wesley quote. So, um, you know, I, I harp on this phrase called positive role models throughout this podcast, because I think people need to realize that they are always at choice, whether they are affluent, whether they're not affluent, um, to know that just because they might be surrounded by a tough scenario, that there are positive role models out there that are doing great things in this world. Yes, I totally agree. All right. So in closing, I'm Angelina Carlson, the hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, as well as the founder to Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based out of Beverly Hills, California, but international in those I coach. I hope to dive deep into subjects that can help a person define, develop, and execute their legacy and continue to scour the landscape for those who can be great resources to every dimension of your legacy. For many listeners, there can never be enough education and preparation in their moot around their castle. Whether you find yourself with new wealth or generational wealth, may the content on this channel be an anchor in any storms ahead. We do our best to provide original content for your intellectual and emotional curiosity. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, I coach people on the subject of personal legacies. Of course, please do your own due diligence as some areas are black and white, while others are gray in nature in a changing landscape. I hope you find these podcast interviews entertaining in their education. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.